Hello, and welcome to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I am your host, Mr. Miller. This podcast will cover a number of topics that happened on this date in history. Please visit the podcast webpage at thishappentoday.buzzsprout.com. There you can download the notes page, which will help you organize the information, as well as develop your own ideas on how these events change the world around us. If you're interested in hearing more, please consider subscribing so you will not miss out on what happens tomorrow in history. Today is May 5th. Since it opened in 1891, Carnegie Hall has set the international standard for musical excellence as the aspirational destination for the world's finest artists. From Tchaikovsky, Dvorak, Mahler, and Bartok, to George Gershwin, Billie Holiday, Benny Goodman, Jenny Go- Judy Garland, and the Beatles, an honor roll of music-making artists representing the finest of every genre has filled Carnegie Hall through the years. Carnegie's Hall's opening night was May 5, 1891, kicking off a five-day opening week's festival. Horse-drawn carriages lined up for a quarter mile outside, while inside the main hall was jammed to capacity. Tickets were only $1. While there was a box auction for a five-day opening week festival, which attracted much of New York society, including the Whitney's, the Sloan's, the Rockefeller's, the Frick's, single concert tickets were just $1 or $2. Walter Damrosch led the New York Symphony Orchestra in the Oriato Society on opening night. Famed Russian composer Peter Tchaikovsky also performed, conducting his own March Sonnel. For his appearances during the five-day opening week festival, Tchaikovsky earned approximately $5,000, which would be about $140,000 in 2020, nearly a full year's salary for a conductor at that time. Despite the talent on stage and the glamour of the audience, the reviews of Carnegie Hall's inaugural night concentrated on the hall. One newspaper reported, Tonight the most beautiful music hall in the world was consecrated to the loveliest of the arts. Possession of such a hall is in itself an incentive for culture. The critical and public reactions were unanimous in deeming the music hall an overwhelming success. In 1961, the United States and the Soviet Union found themselves in a race to put the first human being into space. The United States initiated Project Mercury in 1958 to put the first American into space and selected its first group of astronauts in 1959 to begin training on that mission. The Soviets kept their plans secret, but began their own human spaceflight program and selected their own team of 20 cosmonauts in 1960. The Soviets won the race in April of 1961 when cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin completed a single orbit around the Earth aboard his Vostok capsule. On May 5th of 1961, Alan Shepard became the first American in space during a suborbital flight aboard his Mercury capsule named Freedom 7. Three weeks later, based on the success of Shepard's brief flight, President John F. Kennedy committed the United States to achieving a lunar landing before the end of the decade. After hundreds of hours of training in simulators and three simulations inside the capsule itself, Shepard and his backups Grissom and Glenn, prepared for the actual flight. Inclement weather scrubbed the first launch attempt on May 2nd, and NASA decided it was time to announce that Shepard would indeed be making the first flight. On May 5th, the weather improved, more cooperative, and Shepard climbed aboard Freedom 7 atop the Redstone rocket poised on Launch Pad 5 at the Cape Canaveral Air Force Station, now the Cape Canaveral Space Force Station in Florida. Half a million people had gathered on nearby beaches to watch the launch in person. An estimated 45 million Americans anxiously watched the liftoff on live television, including President Kennedy at the White House. After more than two hours of delays due to technical issues, the rocket engine ignited at 9.34 a.m. Eastern Time, propelling Shepard skyward and into the history books. During the mission, Shepard communicated with Mercury Control Center at Cape Canaveral. 
Flight Director Christopher Kraft designed the control center to monitor every aspect of the mission. Fellow astronaut Slayton served as the capsule com- communicator at Capcom, speaking directly with Shepard in Freedom 7. The Redstone rocket's engine shut off as planned two minutes and 22 seconds after liftoff, with the launch escape tower jettisoning immediately thereafter. After another 10 seconds, the spacecraft separated from the booster, and Shepard began to experience weightlessness. At 3 minutes 10 seconds into the flight, Shepard took over manual control of the spacecraft's attitude and found that he could control Freedom 7's orientation with remarkable ease and precision. He conducted visual observations of the Earth below and took some photographs of the cloud-covered Atlantic Ocean. At 5 minutes 11 seconds, Freedom 7 reached the highest point of its ballistic flight at 116 miles and began descending towards Earth. 15 seconds later, after the retrofire maneuver took place, an altitude of 230,000 feet, Freedom 7 encountered the top layers of the Earth's atmosphere, ending Shepard's time in weightlessness after five minutes. During the deceleration, he experienced G-loads of up to 11 times the force of Earth's gravity, but only for a few seconds. A drogue parachute deployed at 22,000 feet to slow and stabilize the spacecraft, followed by the main parachute at 10,000 feet. A landing bag deployed at the bottom of the spacecraft to further cushion the impact, and after a flight of 15 minutes, 22 seconds, Freedom 7 splashed down to the Atlantic Ocean north of Bahama Islands and 300 miles southeast of Cape Canaveral, completing Shepard's first flight as American in space. Freedom 7 splashed down four miles from the prime recovery ship, an aircraft carrier called the USS Lake Champlain. Recovery forces deployed from the Lake Champlain and retrieved Shepard and his capsule within 20 minutes of splashdown and delivered them onto the flight deck. Shepard went below decks for a brief medical exam and congratulatory phone call from President Kennedy. At a press conference afterwards, the president hinted that he would soon be seeking more funding for greatly expanded space program. Less than two and a half hours after arriving aboard the Lake Champlain, Shepard boarded a plane that took him to the Grand Bahama Island for more in-depth medical examinations. Meanwhile, a helicopter retrieved Freedom 7 from the Lake Champlain and delivered it to Cape Canaveral. After initial inspections, the capsule traveled to Paris to go on exhibit May 25th at the International Aeronautical Show. And in 1967, the first all-British satellite, Ariel 3, was launched. Ariel 3 was propelled into space from Vandenberg Air Force Base in California, watched by a team of 40 British scientists and technicians and U.S. Minister of State for the Department of Education, Gromery Roberts. The satellite's orbit is expected to shift over the next three months to allow it to survey the ionospheric conditions about 60 kilometers or 37 miles above Earth's surface. This small satellite had been designed to continue and expand on the previous U.K. satellite investigations, Ariels 1 and 2, which were built in America. Ariel 3 was designed, built, and tested over four years at the Space Department of the Royal Aircraft Establishment in Farnborough. British Aircraft Corporation was the main contractor, and GEC provided the bulk of the electronics. It carried five experiments, a study of low-frequency radiation from space for Sheffield University, measurement of electron density and temperature in the upper ionosphere for Birmingham University, Information on medium frequency waves from space from Jodrell Bank. Measurement of the oxygen found at high altitude for meteorological office. And off analysis of atmospheric noise over Earth for the radio and space research station. The project was the result of close cooperation between Science Research Council and NASA, which provided the launch facilities and four-stage rocket. Ariel 3 orbits the Earth every 95 minutes and is expected to relay information back to a computer at SLU's radio and space research station for at least one year. You have been listening to the This Happened Today in History podcast. 
I thank you for listening, and I hope that you have enjoyed learning about historical events from the past. Thank you to the following websites for their information regarding today's topics. ThePeopleHistory.com Carnegie Hall at www.carnegiehall.org Alan B. Shepard Jr. at nasa.gov and Satellite Aerial 3 launched at news.bbc.co.uk The music used as the background track for this podcast is Americana, created by Kevin McLeod on Incompetech.com. If you enjoyed this information and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing as this will keep the historical events in your feed in the morning for each day. I hope you have a great day.